This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. Let's say a white chocolate cranberry creme brulee sounds lovely. What is it? I don't know. But if I can make it sound enticing, then that's my starting point. And then I go back to sort of my fundamental training. I know the basic ratio for a creme brulee, but then it changes when you add white chocolate to it. And that's when I get in the kitchen and start getting messy. I get into the kitchen and I fool around and it is my happy place. Definitely. I put on my favorite playlist, get in there and cook. What I have to get ready for is to make mistakes because if something comes out okay on the first try, I get frustrated because then how do I make it better? That's award-winning pastry chef and Food Network star Anna Olson. She's Canada's baking sweetheart and with more than 10 published cookbooks and endless, I mean, I've lost count on many television shows and has hosted and been part of, she has become one of the country's most recognizable television chefs. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. No, thanks for having me, Mary. I'm thrilled to be here. I want to talk about the Niagara region because my husband and I, we visit Niagara, Old Niagara, the wineries, as often as we can. But you live there. Like, what's your favorite thing about the Niagara region? Well, I I will tell you, Mary, the draw um, of Niagara does not become dated or old just because you live here. And maybe because I wasn't born here. No, I shouldn't say that because I... The, the people who are born in, and raised here appreciate, I think, uh, definitely where they are. And I don't live in the heart of the, the tourist part of Niagara-on-the-Lake. I live in central Niagara. And so I'm a little bit removed from the busy, especially the busy summer and fall season when wine harvest is happening. Um, what I do love is that I can drive three kilometers and all of a sudden be in uh, a rural space where there are growers growing apples or cherries. Um, we don't do grapes up here. I'm up on the escarpment. All all the winemaking grapes are down below on the low escarpment. Um, but we do the fruits and the produce and, you know, even the bigger crops like the corn and the soybeans happen up here. And there's just an appreciation. I think when, when you've got two lakes and then the massive waterfall near you, you're always aware of where you are. Uh, you're never more than 25 minutes from water of any type. And it's it's just different. Um, and I, I, yeah, it's a special place to be. Interestingly, a little background story. My mom grew up in Niagara Falls, New York. And so being a kid growing up in Toronto, we used to do the track from Toronto to cross the border at the uh, Rainbow Bridge or the Lewiston Bridge you know, repeatedly to go see grandma and grandpa. And my grandmother was one of my baking, key baking influences. So I would always look forward to the trip. And then you stop and you you pick up peaches at the peach stand. And never in my youthful years did I anticipate I would be living here. And I've been here for over 25 years now. It sounds wonderful. I mean, I'm in the heart of the city. So to have that, that space to see all that, it's just, it sounds amazing. I wouldn't want to be further away from Toronto. I will say that because I like the access. A lot of what I do, my work brings me into the city a lot. And I like having uh, the connection with such a dynamic cosmopolitan city. But I, I do like leaving at the end of the day. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, it's that breakaway from the hustle and bustle. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's why people like yourself like to come and visit because it's close by, it's accessible, but um, it feels so completely different. You mentioned your grandmother uh, that you would bake with her a lot. Is that who fueled your passion for baking and cooking? Ultimately, I think I do have to give her credit for that uh, because it, it was, the, and for a lot of people who love to bake, and Mary, are you one of those? Are you a baker? Okay, I am a baker, but I have to put a but because for me, I bake because I have an insane sweet tooth. So for everything <laughs> I bake. It's necessity. Yeah. <laughs> but I do enjoy it. Oh, good, good. But, but I find that sort of love of baking um, it, it isn't about necessarily getting to the end result, except maybe in your case, Mary. <laughs> uh, but people who are into baking usually have a, a close influence, someone in their family or friends network who bakes because they enjoy it. And then that's what you witnessed. And for me, if I wanted to spend time with my grandmother, it meant I was in the kitchen because she was always in the kitchen. And yes, she cooked, but there was something different about her and about time with her when she switched into baking. And so for me, that made such an impression, but it took me quite a while to figure out how much of an impression, because I did not, um, I, I baked and cooked all through my youth and, and through school, but I didn't consider it as a professional career until um, I was already deep into my first career. So and and my grandmother at the time when I first told her she was she was getting older and losing her memory and when I told her that I was quitting my perfectly good paying job to go study to be a chef she was horrified she just <laughs> she didn't understand and, and and actually bless her the what she said to me was did your mother not teach you how to cook because she had forgotten um so much at that point right. but that was her remark right. she was just, that I had to go to school to learn how to cook? What was wrong with me? <laughs> you mentioned you had a career prior to deciding to be a chef. So it wasn't on the, was it along the line of food? No, not at all. Even though just like so many teenagers and people in their early 20s, I worked in restaurants. Um, you know, that was the part-time job, the summer job, uh, just to get you through the day. And I always clicked with it and enjoyed it. Um, but I studied political science and sociology, and then I went into banking uh, because I didn't know what else to do. Um, and it it was fine. I, I worked for a big portfolio management company in Toronto, but I could see I wasn't I was low on the ladder. So I got a cubicle, not an office. And I could see the St. Lawrence market from my window if I leaned out and looked really hard. And so that would be my lunch hour. It was escaping to the market just to buy food. And I was supposed to be reading The Economist magazine and The Financial Times. And all I was doing was reading Bon Appetit and Gourmet magazine <laughs> and hiding groceries under my desk until I could just leave and, and go home and cook. And so it, it was always there. It just had to manifest itself for a while before it came out. I like to play a little bit of an icebreaker. Oh, okay. Woo. So it's a game of this or that. Ravioli or dumplings? Oh, I have to go with my heritage dumplings. And and by dumplings, I mean like pierogi. So good. Which are kind of Eastern European ravioli. With your fries, do you ketchup or mayo? Mayo, 100%. I wouldn't have guessed that. Okay. Pizza or pasta? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> why are you making me choose? <laughs> Everyone guesses at that one. 
You know, as a desert island choice, I'll go with pasta. Good choice. Give up sugar or give up salt? This may totally surprise you. I would give up sugar. This one's a tough one, at least for me. It was grilled cheese or mac and cheese. I'm going to go with grilled cheese. Mm, That's good. This is the pragmatic side of me. I picked pasta over pizza. (laughs) So in my mind, I could put cheese on that. So I can pass on the, the mac and cheese. How do you start developing a recipe? What's that process like? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? And it depends on the end goal. If I'm doing it um, for one of my instructional videos or a TV show, you know, you think you, it, it's all like writing a dessert menu. So I go back to my restaurant background, working as a pastry chef, where normally a dessert menu is mm, anywhere from five to 10 items. And except now with a TV series, it's potentially 30 to 60 items. And then when you're writing a cookbook, you're looking at 100 to 120 dessert items. So that becomes my framework. And then depending on the theme, you break it down. Um, But ultimately, I I write it first. And if I can make it sound good in the title, uh, then, then I go into the kitchen and play with it. And quite often what I'll do is I'll write a chart because when you're writing um, uh, recipes for a bigger project, you don't want to overlap. You don't want to overlap technique too much or flavors. So I'll write all my key flavors when when you read a dessert item. So key flavors would be like chocolate, apple, caramel, vanilla, um, naming off all the fruits. And then you have your supporting flavors like cinnamon, ginger, um, tea, Vanilla can be a supporting flavor. And then you have those items. Well, there's cakes and then there's sponge cakes and layer cakes, uh, cheesecakes. You've got your custard family, your creme brulees, your creme caramels, your pastry creams, your mousses. And um, and then what I do is I kind of draw a line through it. So I'll go through a, let's say, a white chocolate cranberry creme brulee. Sounds lovely. Sounds very festive. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> but if I can make it sound enticing, um, then then that's my starting point. And then I go back to sort of my fundamental training. I know the basic ratio for a creme brulee, but then it changes when you add white chocolate to it. And that's when I get in a kitchen and start getting messy and fool around. Okay, so then that leads me to what is the recipe testing process like? One. Two, <laughs> how do I get on that list? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a long list. I have a long list of taste testers. Um, and I do have a, a bit of an army of recipe testers. And so I get into the kitchen and I fool around. And it is it is my happy place, definitely. I put on my favorite playlist, get in there and cook. And I, what I have to get ready for is to make mistakes. Because if something comes out okay on the first try, I get frustrated because then how do I make it better? But if something really goes wrong, then I have I have that place to pivot and turn and go, okay, what did I learn? What happened? Oh, too much white chocolate with whipping cream and egg yolks and a creme brulee makes it greasy tasting or it makes it separate. Okay, how do I fix that? And then I'll change my recipe. Okay, let's do half whipping cream, half milk and see what happens. And oh, now I can't taste the white chocolate anymore. Okay, and then I get the recipe to the point where I'm happy with it. 
Then I have two uh, formal recipe testers that I send the recipes to. They don't get photos. They don't get notes. They have to follow my written instructions because that's the first true test is barring anything else. Will the written instructions um, work? And one will test based on volume because in North America still, we, we still favor cups and teaspoons. Um, but I have the other pastry chef test by weights, um, grams, which is how professionals and this actually outside of North America has how everyone else bakes. And so I include both in all my recipes. So then they take the pictures and then they write the notes. They also test in their home kitchens. Uh, one of my testers has young kids. Uh, the other has teenagers. And so I get the true answer. You know, they might be a little more demure and polite and tell me, oh, it was lovely. Yeah, but the 14-year-old teenage boy will tell me, that sucks. <laughs> 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 it's not good. Or what it is, I'll get the honest feedback. Um, and then from that point, I do my re-editing. And then then I can send my recipes. That That's where I'll send it off to non-professionals. Uh, to give it a try just to see. And and we test, you know, I love using good quality chocolate, but we also test the recipes using, you know, the basic squares of chocolate because you have to know the recipe works with every type of ingredient. You can't insist. Um, while I like using good ingredients, uh, they're not accessible to everyone. And, you know, you want to be aware. And But ultimately the goal is I want someone to feel that same sense of satisfaction when I'm in there baking, I want someone to use one of my recipes and and not just enjoy the end result, but feel good about themselves having made it. And go look, I, look what I did. Then that's that's when I've succeeded. And I think we tapped into this a little bit earlier, but are you working on any new recipes or projects right now? I do have a new cookbook in the works, and a cookbook is a long and arduous process. It can take two years, uh, even longer. So the book I'm working on right now will not launch until spring 2023. Um, but, and I'm just in the uh, throes of the editing process now. So all the recipes, um, I, I frankly, I used our, our pandemic lockdown to get a whole lot of uh, recipe testing done. So accidentally, the book came out about 50% bigger than I intended because I just simply couldn't stop. Really? Um, yeah, I just made use of that time and wrote. And then we took the photos this fall, early this fall. I enjoy every step of the process. There's the baking and the recipe development. The photos are such a collaborative, fascinating process. The editing process, the you develop this relationship with your editor, this person who's got your back. Um, they're trying to make with you this book as good as it can be and you have to earn each other's trust and this is someone I've never met in person in my life she lives um my editor lives in Vancouver or maybe even on Vancouver Island I don't even know no. um <laughs> yeah but but yet I feel like I know her and she knows me most definitely because of our exchanges on the page then you go into graphics and the design of the book, and then you go into the proofing and the proofing and the copy editing where you catch any inconsistency. Um, and then finally goes to the printer. But each step has its own virtue. Uh, and it's nice these days, you know, we're so much about instant gratification and finding resources now and quick, quick, quick. 
that something still can take this long to do, I think is pretty impressive uh, and that it's worth doing. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with award-winning pastry chef and Food Network star, Anna Olson. We actually put this out there um, on social to ask any baking questions they had. I was not expecting the whole slew. I was inundated with questions. So I have a couple from our, our listeners. Yes, sure. Please. Can I use salted butter when baking? You can. I can tell you why I prefer unsalted butter, because it's fresher and sweeter tasting. And then the main reason is that way you're in control of the salt. Um, Because brand for brand, the salt content varies and recipe for recipe, your butter needs vary. So if you are using salted butter, just be aware of how much you're using. If, If you're It's fine to use in a cookie recipe where you're using half a cup and you can skip the added salt then um, if you wish, but I don't recommend it for things like frostings. If you're doing a buttercream frosting, that's because of the quantity of butter, the salt may overwhelm Um, and it may be, it just, I I have tried that by accident and found I've ruined a frosting Um, and butter is dear to us now. It's so expensive. And fortunately, this is the this is the time of year as we head into the holiday season. Keep an eye out for the butter sales. And if you find them, share the butter sales. <laughs> share the butter sales. Yes. And they will issue rain checks if they sell, sell out. So, you know, just, yeah, it's worth it to wait for the sales because you can freeze your butter, salted or unsalted. Yep. Just throw the whole brick in the freezer. It'll keep. Yeah, that's a great tip. If you feel a recipe calls for too much sugar, is it okay to cut the measurement in half? Ooh, that's a very good question. Now, sugar in uh, baked goods does more than just sweeten. It adds moisture and structure. So it depends on the recipe. You may find that if you are reducing sugar um, in cakes, cookies, muffins, quick breads, that they may become a little more dry or crumbly. So you have to compensate and add a little more liquid um, because sugar, when it heats, of course, liquefies. And then it binds with all the other ingredients in your batter to make that baked goods set. Um, so you have to add a little more liquid. If it's anything with whipped egg whites, um, a sponge cake, a meringue, you can't reduce the sugar. You will change the structure of the meringue. The sugar adds stability to the egg whites. So that's a no. But if it is, if you're looking to reduce sugar, um, just to simply reduce sugar, or if um, you're counting on the glycemic index, to replace with coconut palm sugar uh, is an excellent addition because it is not quite as sweet tasting You use it in a one-to-one ratio replacement for granulated sugar, uh, and it registers half on the glycemic index as granulated sugar. So you can can whip your meringues and use it in your batter in the same measure, and you'll find it's not as sweet tasting, and then you've also got the benefits of the lower glycemic number. What is the secret to the perfect chocolate chip cookie? How can we weed through the endless recipes for the best chocolate chip cookies? Well, now that's a bit of a plant of a question. (laughs) Do I owe you a $5 tip for that one? Because of course I'm going to send you to mine. I've worked on my chocolate chip cookie for years. So I would love uh, the person who wrote that question to give mine a try. And they they don't have to be sold on it. It's okay. (laughs) Um, 
but I I like it because my little uh, tip there is I add a, a little bit of cornstarch to the dry ingredients when I when I mix the dry ingredients into the cookie batter, um, and I came up with that idea based on pavlova. Pavlova is a meringue because I was making the two the same time when I was in the kitchen. Pavlova is a meringue dessert um, that you put cream and fruit on. And the only difference between a pavlova and a meringue, so a pavlova has crispy on the outside and then it's soft and marshmallowy in the center, where a regular meringue is crispy all the way through. The only difference in ingredients between those two styles is the addition of cornstarch because cornstarch holds moisture to it. Um, it's hygroscopic is the term. And so I thought, well, now what if we put that in our cookies? Will that make the center of the cookies nice and chewy and we get a crispy outside? And I found it did. It really made a big difference. It also slightly lowers the protein content because it's a starch um, of your flour. So then you get a more tender cookie at the same time. And then my last little trick, something I don't think it's starting to show up in my newer recipes. Um, when it comes to things like a chocolate chip or an oatmeal cookie, when you pull your tray out of the oven, give the tray a smack and it collapses the cookie. So it makes the center really dense and that helps keep it chewy in the center too. And I'm presuming the reader would like a cookie that's a bit crispy on the outside, but nice and chewy in the center. Some people like fully crisp really? chocolate chip cookies. I was going to say, is there any other way to have that? Yeah, get, give my recipe a try. And then, but from there, you'll, you'll, when you look at chocolate chip cookie, cookie recipes, there's very little variance. Um, it's really nuances, temperature of the baking, chill the dough or not chill the dough, um, that really set it apart. So I would, yeah, I would say mine has the cornstarch and the, the tray smacking is as real perks. And I do like to, I do find your cookies are better if you scoop them and chill them. Um, which normally like there are only two of us. So if I'm just making a batch of cookies, I'll make a full batch. I'll scoop them all. And then I, I just bake off half a dozen and then the rest I just chill or freeze you chill them first and then you can just pack them in a container and pull them out when you need them and they are better once they've had a chance to chill I'm a new baker what recipes would you recommend I start with Ooh, well as a new baker you may not have a full um, baking cupboard full of tools um, so I always like to offer recipes where you don't need you don't need to start with a stand mixer um, but if you start with basics, uh, like a good banana bread recipe really instills, uh, confidence and will make you want to bake more. It smells so good. That's such a homey aroma. Uh, and even though bananas are not Canadian, I think banana bread is a very Canadian <laughs> thing it to really bake. Is. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we all have overripe bananas kicking around at <laughs> some point or another. Um, and all you need is a loaf pan and a mixing bowl. Um, good muffins are a good place to start. And then even if you have one uh, round or square pan, you can start with those single layer cakes, like a gingerbread cake. You can start making squares like butter tart squares, um, which are a lot easier to make than butter tarts. But then once you make a butter tart square, you're going to want to learn how to make butter tarts. So you'll you'll transition into that next level of baking. But I think those are good places to start that are fulfilling, satisfying. There's technique, but not a lot of complicated tools involved. Okay, I'm going to pick one more here. I always overbeat my whipped cream. 
Is there a way to fix it? Ah, oh, there sure is. That's another great question. I have to say, Mary, all of these questions are wonderful. So thanks to everyone who's listening. But yes, so you thought you were a pioneer and you're making butter because <laughs> you over with your whipped cream. Um, there is a way to fix it. And what I tend to do, and if you if you do this, if you do this often, and especially if you only buy um, your small carton, your 250 mil or 500 mil of cream, don't whip, don't pour the whole container in when you first start whipping, hold a tablespoon back. Because if you do accidentally whip your cream, what you do is shut off the mixer, add that remaining tablespoon or two of fluid cream, and then just by hand, gently whisk it in and adding the unwhipped fat will break down the overwhipped fat. So then it will go back to the point you missed the first time around. But the key is don't use the beaters after that. Once you add the cream, you just kind of whisk it in by hand and you'll see it just sort of drop down a little bit. Oh, that's brilliant. And if I can offer a free with purchase tip on that whipped cream note, uh-huh. if you want to stabilize your whipped cream, so, you know, holiday season is around the corner and maybe you're going to have your gingerbread cake and you want to whip the your whipped cream to have ahead of time, or maybe it's to put on top of your trifle or whatever you're making. But you notice if you whip your cream and put it in the fridge within a few hours, it starts separating because the fat can only hold that air in for so long. Um, and then the sugar kind of pulls down and pulls to the bottom. You can re-whip it at that point. But if you add one tablespoon of instant skim milk powder uh, to every one cup of fluid cream you whip, you can add it at any point in the whipping process. You have to use the instant because it dissolves into the cream. Uh, skim milk powder is pure protein that binds the cream and it will hold the air in. So then you can whip your cream ahead of time. You can spread it on top of a cake and it will hold for 24 hours. You'll get clean slices. It doesn't change the flavor or texture of the cream at all. So that's one tablespoon of instant skim milk powder to every one cup of fluid cream that you whip. Let's play a game of rapid fire. Are you up for it? I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. Tell us one thing most people don't know about you. Um... I cannot sing at all. Like, happy birthday even (laughs) eludes me. Horrible at singing. Would you rather go camping, hiking, boating, or dancing? Ooh. Oh, nice choices. But I would go boating or dancing. Do I have to pick one between those two? That's okay. Mm -hmm. We'll give you two. Okay, thanks. (laughs) You have time to yourself. No interruptions. What do you do? Uh, If I'm not baking... I'm reading. I love reading. What is your junk food kryptonite? <sighs> Extra butter, super salty movie theater popcorn. If your fridge could talk, what would be the one word it would use to describe your snack choices? <laughs> you weirdo. <laughs> I ask every single guest to share a little kitchen confession with us. Do you have one to share? what level of kitchen confession are you looking for goodness i love that it started with a laugh (laughs) Mm. um well i've sure enough had lots of disasters because i have i mean that's part of what i do when i'm developing recipes i want to have the messes um which whenever you see me write a recipe that says put the pan onto a baking tray it's probably because i didn't do it the first time around and had to clean scrape cake batter out of the bottom of my oven um 
kitchen confession. I think people might be surprised at the playlists I choose when I'm baking, depending on what I'm making. So if I'm making breads uh, that take, you know, the, the slow fermentation, the gentle kneading, repetitive motion, I, I go into, I get, get, I play more conventional, relaxing, chill playlists. Um, but when I'm getting into serious cake decorating, uh, lots of detail work. Uh-huh. I have to play EDM, like total no dance way. music, Ibiza, like and and because I think it's the beat. And so when I need precision, I need that that beat to sort of pipe, pipe, pipe. <laughs> you need to get I, and, a deal with Spotify and just come up with your own playlists. Anna's cooking <laughs> playlists. <laughs> yes. Well, it does change, you know, and then I'll switch to Paris Musette when I'm making pastries and tarts and French things. So, yeah, I I go all over the place. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I like I said before, I could talk to you forever. But if listeners want to reach out, they want to find you. What's the best way? They can check out uh, my YouTube channel, uh, which is called Oh Yum. That's the greatest, uh, easiest way to find me new recipes and new content coming out all the time uh i am at chef anna olson on instagram and facebook uh and sadly i just have not been able to get around to tiktok yet so don't look for me there yet we'll see it's that time we've reached the end of another show did we get your stomach growling head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchen confession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.